There are two readings tonight. The first is from Matthew uh, 9, 14 to 34. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old old garment, but the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skin will burst and the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died. But come and put your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, Go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all the region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, will it be done to you? and their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out the demons. The second reading is from Revelation. Uh, It's from uh, chapter 21, from verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is God's word. Good evening, my name's Matt. Uh, I work at the church here, and I'd love it if you'd turn back to Matthew 9 as uh, we look at that this evening. And let's pray as we do that. Father, thank you for your word to us, and we pray that as we are taught by you this evening that you'd uh, change us, that you'd uh, comfort us uh, in our pain, uh, that you would give us hope as we uh, consider the future, as we consider uh, death. We pray that you would point us again to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew 9 is a passage all about the new. Jesus is bringing into the world a brand new situation. Uh, He comes into the old pattern of the world and he establishes something that has never been seen before. Now, of course, when someone introduces something new, there are several reactions. Um, You're at work, someone introduces into the old established pattern of doing something a new way of doing things. And many people, of course, say, I don't really want the new. I was quite happy with the old. I I don't like innovation. I was happy as uh, I was. And, of course, some people believe that uh, the new just won't make any difference or actually isn't possible at all. Um, I've been cycling around London this week trying to imagine what it would be like if there were no... Uh, roadworks ever again in London. I, I seem, I, at one moment, I actually convinced myself that maybe in, in 10 or 15 years' time, they would have just solved all of the gas problems that seem to be between here and my house, and, and there'd never again be uh, roadworks in London. And then I thought, well, just get over it. You're just going to have to deal with it. There, there will always be roadworks. It's, it's hard to imagine a situation where there aren't roadworks in London. It's just an inconceivably new situation. Uh, Matthew 8 to 10, which we've been looking at for the last few weeks, uh, introduces us to Jesus the King who comes into the world and starts doing things that have never uh, been seen before. He comes, we've been saying, into a black and white world and starts touching things and they come into color again. So he offers forgiveness. He uh, casts out a demon. And in this chapter, we see that Jesus is bringing in a new situation. And that's really the point of these illustrations in the first few verses, in in verses 14 to 17. So verse 14, John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now the question comes to Jesus because he's just come fresh from a party. Matthew has just started to follow Jesus. He's thrown a dinner party and presumably Jesus and the disciples have been there eating. But some other disciples come to him and say, look, hang on a second. This is, this is odd. The, the, the pattern is uh, we fast, uh, the Pharisees fast, but you don't fast. What's going on, Jesus? And Jesus answers them. And I just pause for a second. Fasting in, in the Bible is associated with a number of things, sometimes uh, repentance, sometimes self-denial. Jesus 
uh, would encourage us to fast on occasions. But verse 15 shows that the, the fasting here is to do with mourning. Uh, people are mourning, perhaps because of the terrible state of the people of God at that time. They looked around and they just went into mourning. They fasted. That was the situation. And Jesus gives three illustrations that show that he's bringing in a situation that's brand new. The first of them is he says, uh, I bring in a situation where uh, I'm the bridegroom. So verse 15, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? So Jesus takes an Old Testament image. God would one day come as the bridegroom of his people. And he says, I'm the bridegroom. I've come. And so to mourn now would be totally inappropriate. It would be totally out of place with what's going on. I'm the bridegroom. Oh, sure, that there will be a time, Jesus says, when the bridegroom will be taken away. It's an ominous reference to the cross when he's taken away from his disciples. But Jesus says, for now, for now it's party time. Matthew's exactly right to have thrown a dinner party. I'm the bridegroom. I've come. Mourning and the bridegroom... It's just a mismatch between them. I mean, you, you know that, don't you? you imagine turning up at a, at a wedding in, in mourning and the bridegroom comes in and there you are in, in the corner and you're dressed all in black and your face is pale and you pull your violin out and you start humming quietly in the corner, abide with me. I mean, just totally. A total mismatch. The bridegroom is there. It's party time. And Jesus says, do, do you see, I'm the bridegroom of my people. The old pattern was waiting. That's what the Old Testament was about, waiting. But I'm here. It's the time of fulfillment now. That's the period that we're in. I'm the bridegroom. And then these next two illustrations in 16 and 17 extend that. They're illustrations about newness as well. So verse 16 no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. So this is, this is basic needlework, um, I'm told. <laughs> this is basic needlework. Um, you've got an old pair of jeans, and you don't take a, a new unshrunk patch of cloth and, and put it on the old jeans, because then it will shrink when you get wet and then it will pull some of the material away with it and it'll be worse than it was before. I've done my needlework research on that and I'm pretty confident that's, that's how it would work. Or basic winemaking. Verse 17. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No. They pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So again, you're making wine, you're waiting for it to ferment. You've, you've got a, a, an animal skin, a hide, that's what you had. And the older it got, the less elastic it got. It just sort of toughened up, became hard. If you put new wine into that, as it ferments and expands, it's just going to explode. So you put new wine into new wineskins. If you, if you don't, there's a mismatch between them. Do you see what Jesus is saying in, in all of those? Jesus is saying, my disciples aren't mourning because that would be a mismatch between me being here 
and their mourning. That would just totally be out of place. We're not in the period of waiting for the groom. We're not in the period of the old cloth or the old wineskin. Don't just lay me over the old. I'm bringing in a brand new situation, says Jesus, the like of which the world has never seen before or since. Well, how is it new? How is the situation that Jesus is bringing in new? And that's what these uh, miracles of Jesus illustrate in the next few verses. We've read all of these verses. I just want to focus on the first two, really. And we see that Jesus brings into the pattern of the old world a new situation. And the pattern that he breaks is the pattern of death. Is there any older pattern in the world than death? Is there any more established pattern than that we live in this world and then we die? It's hard to think of one, isn't it? The pattern of death is as old as we can think of. So one day we, we wake up. I don't know what age it is, aged five maybe. And we realize, I'm going to die. Somehow we've been protected in our memory from thinking that. But at some point, we, we all realize that. That's the situation. Mummy and daddy are going to die. We, we realize that situation. And from that moment on in our minds, that is the pattern that we live with in our lives. It's, it's inconceivable to think of a situation which isn't like that. That's what we live with. It's as old as old. And Jesus says, I'm bringing in the new. Well, let's look at uh, these uh, incidents together. Jesus brings in the new which meets our pain. And, and looking at these verses together uh, brings us up short. It's, they're hard verses to look at in many ways, but there's hope at the end. Jesus brings a new situation which meets our pain. So verse 18 While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. Jesus is speaking and a guy comes into the crowd and this guy is a ruler. He's a ruler of a synagogue. He's a pastor of a local congregation. Maybe he's uh, well dressed. We, We don't know. But he comes to Jesus and there must have been uh, tears in his eye, fresh uh, on his face. And he does what a grown man of that culture should really never do. He comes into the crowd and he kneels before Jesus and he says, my daughter has just died. I cannot imagine a more painful situation. I cannot imagine a more raw emotion than to have just come from your daughter's death. I cannot imagine uttering worse words. My daughter has just died. Presumably he could think back to the past when he first held his daughter in his arms. Presumably as he thinks forward to the future, he cannot imagine a moment when his daughter is not a part of his life. And yet this has just happened to him. And of course, it's, it's, tot- it's just horrible because little, little girls are, are meant to grow up with their daddies. They're not meant to die before their daddies. Daddies aren't meant to bury their daughters. Daughters are meant to outlive their 
dads. And yet this guy comes and his world has been ripped apart by the old, old pattern of death that is so well established in his thinking that he can't imagine there's anything else but that. And as you think about our culture, that there is no more horrible thing that our culture has to deal with than death. And I wonder if that is why there aren't as many films as you might expect about death. It is a sort of taboo. You don't make many films that just go into the, the horror of it. The verse we had at the start of the service called death a, a shroud that just enfolds all people. And as I thought about it this week, I've, I thought there is nothing as horrible as this. The distance that death puts between us and someone that we would love to be close to forever. And before we move on, I want us to, in a sense, to stand emotionally where this guy stands. And I know that this is hard for us to do. Some of us have recently stood where this man stands. Some of us are standing where this man stands. We know the silent grief of a miscarriage. We know the shock of a long-distance phone call that interrupts our world. I can remember exactly where I was when I received the phone call of a, about the death of a friend in an accident, exactly where I was when I heard that news. I can recall exactly the, the face of the friends as they told me about the death of their young daughter, the wires in the incubator the precious hours they had with her. I can still see the shock on the face of a teenager in the youth group I used to help with when he turned up and he said, my dad died today. I didn't know what to do. I'd just come along anyway. I did not know what to do. Died of a heart attack this morning. Here's how one mother wrote as she mourned the death of her son. She said this, death has entered our dwelling and made one of the happiest families wretched. Our little Roger, our only little darling boy, was three days ago laid in the silent grave. Eight months we enjoyed the precious little gift, in which time he has so completely entwined himself around his parents' heart that his own existence seemed necessary to their own. Our comfort, our dear little Roger, has become insensible to our parental affections and fond caresses. His sweet face has become cold to our lips and his little mind has fled, oh where? Who supports and guides its trembling steps across the dark valley? There a parent's aid could not be extended. Do you hear what this guy is saying as he comes to Jesus? He says, my little daughter has just died. He's a ruler. He rules over a synagogue. But he is in an area that he has no power over at all. Is entirely helpless. And so he comes and he kneels at the feet of Jesus Christ. And he says a remarkable thing. Just look down at verse 18. My daughter has just died, but that's not the end. Look down at verse 18. But come and put your hand on her and she will live. He expects that Jesus can help. He says to Jesus, Jesus, this is your realm. You do have control in this area. I've heard that sickness and demons are under your power, but I believe that death is under your power as a king as well. And so I've come to you, Jesus. And I imagine that those in the crowd at that moment thought, well, this is, this is nice. Um, good on you for, for, for backing Jesus. I mean, that is, that is good. Well done. 
but a bit naive, just a, just a bit much. You've slightly outstretched Jesus. This is going to be embarrassing. This is the moment when the healer is found out that he does not have the power that maybe we thought he did. Good on you, button. Naive. But Jesus doesn't think so. Jesus says, well, he just gets up. Verse 19. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Jesus knows that he could help. Now, every pastoral handbook in the world would tell you that if you cannot help, Jesus, don't go. Please, Jesus, don't go if you can't. Don't give false hope to this guy at this moment. Jesus, if you are going because you don't have the power, that is sick. Just tell him straight. But Jesus goes. Jesus gets up and his disciples follow him. What's he doing? Why is he going to the funeral? Well, we'll find out in a minute. Jesus brings a new situation which meets our pain. Uh, But then Jesus brings a new situation which draws our trust. So that's not the end of Jesus' busy day. Verse 20, just then a woman who had been subjected to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said, if only I touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. So before we get to the funeral, Jesus says, look, a a woman, a woman came. A woman came to Jesus, and she's been subject to bleeding for 12 years. We, we don't know what, maybe a, a uterine hemorrhage or something like that has affected this lady for years. Uh, it would have restricted her life. It would have been uh, embarrassing um, socially. She'd have been uh, on the edge of things, lonely. There appears to be no family, uh, unlike uh, the, the other girl, the daughter. She would have been unwell. She's pale. She's weak, no doubt. She comes to Jesus. And this is the pattern that she's lived with long since her dreams have faded of her normal life. But now Jesus is in town. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is in town. And she must have said to herself, if I touch him, maybe my uncleanness will be transferred to him. And so I won't do that. I'll just, I'll just touch the edge of his garment, just the tassels on his cloak. I'll just, I'll just reach out my hand and maybe, maybe that will do it and so she sneaks up behind him and she touches him and we're told that Jesus verse 22 turned and saw her just as he saw the paralytic in the chapter before he he saw her he saw the problem he saw the situation he turned and he saw her saw her maybe she thought at that moment well now I've done it now I've done it maybe my uncleanness has maybe gone to Jesus now I'm going to be exposed before everyone else But Jesus turned and saw her and said, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. Take heart, daughter. It's just what he said to the paralytic lying before him. Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. And from that moment on, her uncleanness was gone. She was hugged for the first time in 12 years. Her cleanness uh, has come to her and not gone the other way. Now, why does Matthew include this incident at, at this moment? What's the point of these verses? Well, Matthew's teaching us on the way to the funeral about faith, what faith is. Jesus says, your faith has healed you. And we see it again in in the next few verses. Jesus is calling for a response uh, from us. 
Now, faith isn't something that we uh, do. Jesus is making it clear this isn't a magical power that's sort of gone out from the cloak. He's, he's saying it was an attitude of looking to me. That's what is uh, in view here. It's about the person that we trust. That, that's what faith is. Faith is about the person that you trust in and whether they can help you or not. So imagine that you've, you, pick up a, you pick up a terrible cold, you pick up a, an illness, um, you pick up man flu, something, you know, something serious. And, uh, um, and, uh, and you think, well, what, what do I do in this situation? Um, and so you find the doctor and, and you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you a prescription, sends you away. And then he says, uh, your faith has healed you. Now, he's not saying that, uh, he's not saying, well done you, well done you, you, um, you healed yourself. Uh, brilliant. What he's saying is your, your faith, you came to the right person. You came to exactly the right person. I'm a doctor. This is what I do. And that's what faith is. Faith is coming to the right person. And Jesus is teaching this lady on the way to the funeral, just as we're about to get there, that coming to Jesus is the right person to come to. That is what faith is. Faith is reaching out to Jesus. If you're confused, you hear that word, you're looking in on the Christian faith. People talk about faith. What is it? It's coming to Jesus. It's looking to him. It's not something you drum up in yourself. It's looking to the right person. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. You've come to exactly the right person. So here's a new situation which draws our trust. But then thirdly, Jesus brings a new situation which gives us hope. Verse 23. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she stood up. News of this spread through all that region. So the funeral, the wake has begun. And in that culture, it would have been a quick process that just got going very quickly. You'd have had to have had at least a, a couple of flutes and a wailing woman. That even the poorest in society then, that's what they, they had to have. So quickly the professionals would arrive. And it's, a long, it's clear from a long way away as you come to this house that a funeral is happening. The, the voice is going out, the, the flutes are playing. And it's noisy. And Jesus goes into the outer room of the house and the first thing that he says is, go away. Go away. Out you go. Flutes don't, don't need you here. Why? I mean, is it that Jesus doesn't like the sound of flutes? I, I, I actually, I played the flute when I was growing up. My, my flute playing would have graced a funeral, actually. It would have been okay to have me there. It was just awful, awful sound that I produced. Is, is that what's going on here? No. It's not that Jesus doesn't like flutes. It's not that Jesus... Um, wants a quiet morning or a moment with this girl. Now, Jesus says, do you see, why doesn't he want the flutes there? He says the girl's not dead. Um, she's asleep. The girl is not dead, but asleep. And the people laugh at Jesus. Jesus, that is a sick joke. Jesus, that is, that is ridiculous. The girl's dead. We've, we've seen her die. The breath has gone. She's cold to the touch. We've had enough time now to get the professionals in. The girl is dead, Jesus. And so they laugh. What is, who is this guy? 
Who is this guy? Who's, I mean, he's, got a, he's a healer with a God complex. I mean, what is going on? He says she's not dead but asleep. I just pause. If, if she had been asleep, presumably she'd have been woken up by the noise by now. Uh, if she had been asleep, it is a big call by Jesus because it, it seems that he hasn't even gone into the room at this point. He's outside and, and then he goes into the girl. Uh, and if what comes next is, is not miraculous, if she wasn't actually dead, then this story would never have taken root in the original communities as these eyewitness accounts were being passed around. They'd have just been kicked into touch. The, the girl would have testified. The, the stories would never have taken root right at the start, but they did. They did. For this story to matter, she had to be dead. The girl was, was dead. And so, verse 25, the crowd is put outside and Jesus goes in and there is the girl lying on her bed or wherever she is and her face is pale. She's cold to the touch. She is. She is flesh on a bed. She's, she's dead. She's dead. And to touch the dead is to become unclean. That's, again, that's the way it goes. Uncleanness comes to you. But do you see what Jesus does? He takes her by the hand and she got up. Literally, he, he grabs her. It's a strong word. He grabs her. He grabs this little girl by the hand and she gets up and she's alive again. And news spreads throughout that region. He grabs her. And the first person she sees as she's brought out of death is the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus reached into death and hauls a little girl out so that she is alive again. And what he's saying in this, what he's teaching in this, is that to Jesus Christ, death is sleep. Death is just like a sleep. I, I, sometimes I go and stay with my, uh, my sister and she's got a couple of boys and... Um, and sometimes we'll, ha- we'll have had lunch and it'll be the afternoon and um, my nephew will have just had a, a nap and, um, and I'll say, can I go and wake him up? I love, just, just, you just go up and you, um, it's my turn. I, and up I go, I go into his room and, and there he is on the bed and he's, he's just, you know, out for the count. And, and I walk up to him and he just looks so cute and so brilliant. And you just go up to him and you just shake him on the shoulder. Say, Max, Max, it's time to get up. Let's go and play. Let's go and have fun. Just a shake on the shoulder. And there he is, just coming round. And Jesus says, that's what it's like for me. That is the power I have over death. I, I shake the girl on the shoulder. I take her by the hand. To me, death is, it's sleep. Do you remember what we said at the start, that we live in a world where the the shape of the world is that people die, and that is the shape that we live with since the age of five or whenever we realize it. That is the world that we live with, the the paradigm of the world. That's how it works. But Jesus is bringing something new. Jesus says, "I, I know you don't dare to imagine this, that it might not be like that. I know you don't dare to imagine it, that it might just be like a, a sleep that you might all, um, like going away for a weekend with some friends, that you might just go on the Friday night and, and then you'd go to sleep and you'd say, as you go to sleep, see you in the morning, 
And then the next morning you'd wake up again and see each other. I know you don't dare to imagine that life could be like that. But Jesus says, to me it is. Death to me is sleep. He says, I bring in a new shape to the world. A world that you've never seen before. I pull people from death. I don't just come into the world and mourn death as the old pattern does. I raise the dead. I don't mourn the dead. I raise them. I don't come as the king of a black and white world. I come as the king of the world of color. I don't come as a king who's powerless in the realm of death. I come as the king who pulls people out of death. Jesus Christ is the king who does that. Uh, do you remember this, um, do you remember this face from, from earlier in the year? This is, this is Kiki Joaquim, who was uh, one of the kids who was pulled out of the earthquake in uh, Haiti. He'd been in, in the rubble for eight and a half days when they found him. There he'd been just in the darkness of the rubble around him, the, the city that had fallen down around him. Uh, around him were the, the bodies of others. The smell must have been overpowering for a start. But from his experience, this is what happened. After eight days, he was still there. Eight and a half days, he was still there. And then the noise started to come nearer. And eventually, uh, a fireman, an American fireman, reached in his hand and pulled him out. And as he came out and was lifted before the crowd, he just put his hands up in the air and celebrated. He'd been found. He'd been pulled out of death by a strong hand. And that is what happened in this story. This girl was in death for a matter of hours. And then a strong hand got a hold of her and pulled her out. The hand of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus did for this little girl. It's a picture in some ways of, of what it is to become a Christian. It's, it's to live in the old world of death and to have Jesus Christ reach in and pull you out. It's a picture of what it will be like when a Christian dies, trusting in Jesus, having put faith in him. It's what we saw in Revelation 21, that Jesus Christ on the cross died our death, and took our curse upon himself so that we might have the blessing of living in a new world where the old order of things has passed away and there's no more death or mourning or crying and pain for those things have gone. And one day for the one trusting in Jesus Christ and his death, that is what it will be like. The strong hand will come, pull us out of death. The first person we'll see will be the face of Jesus Christ and he'll say, it's time to come. Shake us, wake us up and say, it's time to come now. It's time to come into a new heaven and a new earth where death is gone. Jesus Christ brings a brand new situation into the world. He pulls people out of death. How do we respond? Well, two things in the passage that we just notice as we close. First, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Do you notice how many people in these chapters just come to Jesus? That's what they do. That's the obvious thing. I've got a problem. Come to Jesus. Uh, my daughter's died. Come to Jesus. I'm unclean. Come to Jesus. I'm facing my own death. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Uh, if you wouldn't say you're a Christian, you, you wouldn't say that you're trusting in Jesus. Well, come to him. Uh, he can take you from the old world where death rules, where that is the pattern, to a new world where death is not the end. And Jesus says that uh, either at uh, death we, 
we face what is the Bible calls a second death, if you like, on the other side. Or for us, if we trust in Jesus Christ, death is sleep to us. That's the choice. Trust in Jesus. Come to Jesus or, or stay where you are. Do you, do you remember at the end of um, The Lord of the Rings, there's, uh, there's Arwen. And uh, Arwen is from the realm of immortality, from the land of the elves. And she falls for Aragorn, who's a human. And she has this terrible choice. Do I stay in this world or do I go to the world of immortality? And she has a conversation with her father. And her father says, as they're getting onto the boat, and she's going to stay, he says, there's nothing for you here, only death. And that is what Jesus Christ says to us. If we reject his offer of getting on the boat, of coming to a new heaven and a new earth, there is nothing here, only death and then a second death. But come with me, and death is like sleep. There's a new heaven and a new earth. So come to Jesus. And then secondly, spread the word. Verse 26. News of this spread through all that region. People who saw that spread the word. They couldn't stop telling people that Jesus Christ had brought something they'd never seen before into this world. A new paradigm where death was sleep. And they told others. And that's what we're about as a church. Telling others um, as, as we go out and think about the, uh, the sports quiz or just day-to-day in our offices or Christianity Explored beginning in October, thinking about who might I invite to that. That's what we're about as a church. Spread the word about Jesus Christ. That's what you say to a friend who says, why, why are you a Christian? Over a pint, they ask you, why are you a Christian? Because I've found someone who can beat death. Someone who, who in his own death went down into the grave. And then three days later, rose again and people saw him and touched him. He beat death in history so that I can be sure that he's beaten death for me. Jesus Christ brings newness into the world. There's the old pattern. But Jesus brings the new, reaches into death and pulls people out of the rubble. Let's pray. My daughter has just died. But come and put your hand on her and she will live. Uh, Father, we uh, live in this world where death is the pattern that we live with. And uh, some of us need your uh, comfort this evening. And so we come to you and ask that you would comfort us. And some of us need reminding again of your Uh, of the hope that we have in Jesus. And we pray that these verses uh, would encourage us, would excite us, that we would be confident that you've died our death and been raised for us, that there is a new heaven and a new earth that puts things in this world into their place. And so we come to you and pray that as we do that, we might uh, spread the word about the situation that Jesus has brought into our world. Amen.